Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for February 2nd, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed, or you can find us on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you would like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. Click the red box that says Sponsor This Podcast, and you can sign up for a one-time or recurring donation. There's no obligations whatsoever, but we certainly appreciate it. And a special thank you to all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, joined as always by my co-host and friend, Case Lowe. And Case, we're already into February and Dragon Gate. It is kind of, this is what we call the cold season. Like, this is before things really start to crank up next month. I was putting forth my calendar since I saw that the March and April dates were already announced. And we could enjoy this for like another four weeks, but then I'm looking at that first week, week of March case, and it's going to be on real fast. Oh, it's nuts. I we're, We never, ever, ever have a title match and a Dreamgate match at that announced during the first week of February for Champion Gate. Because over the past few years, we've dealt with Casey living and dying at, by his Mr. February moniker. So a month out, we know what the main event of the second night of Champion Gate is going to be, and it's kind of nice. Like, I'm looking forward to February because we have the two Fukuoka shows from this past weekend we're going to review. We're going to preview the Cork and Hall show that's coming up on February the 5th, and then there's two weeks where Dragon Gate is not going to make tape. They're going to run some house shows, but nothing that will air, and then at the end of the month, I think there's another three shows making tape towards the end of February, but it's a it's a rest and relaxation time, and coming out of Fukuoka, I have a lot of unanswered questions that I don't necessarily think we're going to get the answers to at Cork and Hall, but I think by the end of the month, we'll have a better idea of what's to come in the immediate future, and, you know, we've, we've criticized these Fukuoka shows quite a bit. They kind of became the new Sambo Hall, where they're not bad, because this company's working standard is so high, but they're also 
not necessarily good at times. And I came away from these two shows thinking like, you know what, that was... That was a fun way to spend my time. I thought there was one great match this weekend and a number of matches that I thought were were worthwhile at the very least. You know, I think that's a pretty fair reaction to these two shows. So they were both on the 31st from Fukuoka across Fukuoka. They'll be up on the network until I think the 6th. It might be the 7th. But yeah, uh, when I like looked back and I was doing my spreadsheet today when I was updating my match recommendations, I kind of came away with this going like, in total, we got one knockout match. We got a bunch of very good matches, but there really was not a lot of dead weight here. And I think it's the operating standard of the company over the last 18 months has stepped up to such a level that, you know, that this this was figuratively like an off weekend. Like this was a, a light weekend. That afternoon show, you know, when we start breaking down these cards... The afternoon show is the one where I'm like, you should pick and choose. The evening show was legitimately great, but, you you know. I think, just sorry to cut you off, but I kind of think I have a differing opinion. I came away liking the afternoon show a little bit more. Now, there is one particular thing that happened on the afternoon show that I found to be a little bit deflating, but my great match from this weekend was in the afternoon show, and I, I don't know if you feel the same way or not. Oh, mine's in the evening, so this is interesting. Yeah. I, I, I like this, but like I think we're on the same page. Like This came away from usually we kind of go just uh, kicking and screaming into across Fukuoka four times a year. But, you know, this was not a bad time. This was not a bad collection of shows. And like most Dragon Gate stuff outside of the big plot-moving shows, you can get through both of these in an hour 45 each probably if you're someone that's because they do promos and you're just like i don't understand what they're saying i'm just going to fast forward you can get through the show these two shows really quick yeah absolutely and you know you look at some of the low points on this roster who are the guys that we typically worry about well tamanaga is one of them he's doing a thing with kaisuke akuda right now that is is super super entertaining so that kind of checks him off he's now like a welcome surprise on the roster you look at yoshida well who's he teaming with now he's teaming with masaki mochizuki really hard to mess that up now i can't put it past yoshida we haven't seen the end of this angle yet he might screw up entertaining masaki mochizuki at some point but for now it seems to be all right and then you've got kind of your combination of your rio saito and shimizu etc etc and as long as they're sequestered off doing their own comedy thing sometimes it's gonna hit sometimes it's gonna miss i thought this weekend was you know a little closer to a miss especially on that evening show but if it's relegated to being in a comedy spot like that i i can only hate it so much so not only is the working standard of this company so high, not only is the roster so incredibly consistent, but now we are seeing them pair off some of the weaker links with some of these strongholds on the roster. And so really, you look at these two shows, there's no holes on these cards. I mean, they're just they're just really solid. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's pretty much my takeaway. Like, they've done a good job. Like, they hit Ultimo. They've been hiding Ultimo in ways that I've been like, that is brilliant what you're doing i'm so delighted with the way he's been booked because even though by all accounts from literally everyone we've talked to that's come into contact with him over the last 18 months or so since he's returned they've talked about how he's such a nice guy we love having him in the locker room all the wrestlers look up to him i still have this paranoia of the other side of ultimo that i can't totally escape at times but 
again, other than one of his matches that I think was at Gate of Destiny 2019, yeah. he's been great. He's been such a nice addition to the roster, and I liked him teaming with Masquerade on that afternoon show. He didn't do a ton specifically in that match, but it was cool to see him in there with Kota Minora and current Open the Dreamgate champion, Shun Skywalker. Right, yeah, and I don't talk to the same people that you talk to for for the most part and things like this, but I get the overwhelming sense that Ultimo is just happy to be here. He's happy to help out. He's with, like, the people that he trained that aren't troublemakers that much. <laughs> so it, it, it's a great role for him, and, it, and of course, I think we have to keep in mind, this is a guy that, if we were living in normal times, probably wouldn't be around half as much, you know? Between- Do you think he'd be off in Mexico more? I think he'd be off in Mexico. He was still taking U.S. Indie bookings after Kobe World 2019. That is true. That is true. Yeah, it, it's... It, but you hit it exactly. He looks like a guy that's happy to be there, and that's his role, and that's all that I can ask from him. That's all I want from him, and that is the role that he is fulfilling. So I, I have no complaints there. I, I have enjoyed the ultimate comedy stuff. I have enjoyed Ultimo and the chance that he gets to turn it on and maybe wrestle a younger guy or team with Masquerade like he did here. I really, when he came in in July of 2019, I never would have imagined it would have gone as smoothly as it has. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into the afternoon show itself. So attendance was down, 238. It is, when I compared it back to the last show they had in Fukuoka last year, that was at 294. You know, I... At this point, I would love to see him be doing better in Fukuoka, but they have to run this place twice to make it work it worth it. So, I mean, when I look at the combined attendance, I'm like, okay, that's fine. But lo- low to start. Uh, we opened the show with Natural Vibes doing the opening talk with Don Fuji filming in for Takeda Kame. Uh, I don't know if we talked about this last week. We kind of were talking about everything but Dragon Gate at times. But Takeda Kame in uh, training, I, I'm guessing given the injury, probably training the Torbolino, uh, looks like he injured his shoulder. Uh, we actually saw a photo of him doing the Natural Vibes recording in a sling, so he might be around, and it's like, we, this is a house show loop. You don't need to be here. But big bummer for Turtle Coon already getting injured this soon into his initial larger push. It sucks. I don't know what to make of the injury bug. I know we've had a few people ask us what our thoughts are on it, and I don't, I don't really have a concrete take because I think it's a lot of freak injuries and some stuff that's happened in training. I mean, we've seen that a a few different times over the past year of guys getting hurt, not on house shows, not on Quirk and Hall shows, not on televised shows, but these training injuries, which, you know, what happens? I don't think that's any indication that they're working too dangerous of a style. I think it's just a weird time where injuries caught up with them and they worked such a hectic style in the tail end of 2020 to make up all these dates that they missed. It was really closer to like a classic Toriumon schedule running all of these shows and so many televised shows week after week after week. It caught up to a few guys. I think that happens, and I, mm-hmm. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Obviously, it sucks that Kamei wasn't in this tournament. I really would have liked to have seen him team with UT, but we got Don Fuji out of this, who was... Uh, Mike, I don't know if you watched the contract signing. I watched this first oh, show yes. live. Oh, uh, yes. Don, Fu- Don Fuji started shit during the contract signing. He tried to attack Yamato <laughs> during the opening ceremony. Oh, oh, my God, it was terrific. Yeah, so before the contract signing, uh, he, he, just was a, he just was in a mood case. Don Fuji is mad. <laughs> He was not selected to join Natural Vibes, so he agreed to do this, that if they won the tournament, he would join Natural Vibes, and he seemed happy. 
Then Punch Tomonaga came out and was still angry about Keisuke Akuda, and he told Ryo Saito that he's taking his place in that match against against Keisuke Akuda. And then we had the uh, the draw where Don Fuji and Yamato were just jawjacking from the start. These two guys have like the weirdest relationship that they have. That like they they, they are uniquely two people who can just piss each other off, and it's really amusing. It's so hostile, and it rocks. I mean, it's one of those things. I feel like. We see so often in King of Gate, Yamato and Fuji squared against each other. And it's always like a six-minute match where they brawl all over Cork and Hall. And it's always so good. These guys have excellent chemistry with one another. And, I, you know, Fuji's not going to be put into a long-term program with Yamato at some point. But every time they get in the ring with each other, Fuji really turns it on. And it's always, always entertaining. Yeah, yeah. And we, we got a bunch of that across this uh, these two shows. So they did the draw. And then we went into our non-tournament matches. The first match was the Natural Vibes team of KZ, Susumi Yokosuka, and Kiki Horiguchi against a uh, really interesting, in my mind, RED team of the Open the Twin Gate champions, BB Hulk and Kai, along with Hip Hop Kakuda. Kiki Horiguchi got the one to backslide from heaven in 11 minutes and two seconds. And, you know, this is that these guys weren't involved, so they kind of just found interesting matchups for them across the two shows. And I enjoyed this. For what it was, I, you know, it was an opener. It wasn't a hot opener. It was just solid. It is a little strange, and I don't think it's an indictment of the booking. I think it's just this, this idea that UT and Kamei were probably going to be featured really heavily in this tag team tournament, and it weirdly left the other Natural Vibes guys, the kind of core of that unit, the main three, feeling out of place on these shows, and... right. We're now living under the assumption that this unit is going to go on and it's going to be a legitimate unit, which is very strange, and I haven't totally wrapped my head around it yet. I don't think it's an an indictment on them that they felt out of place on this show. I think it just happened to be this weekend. There wasn't a lot for them. But the good news is that they wrestled two matches that I thought were a ton of fun, and specifically the finish to this match, which was Hip Hop Kakuta going for the Discus Lariat and being countered into the backslide from heaven. I will never get sick of that finish. I hope I see it a hundred more times before Horiguchi retires. I loved it. It looked so good. And for as strange as the Natural Vibes booking is, it's Horiguchi, Keizi, and Susumu working trios matches. It's not going to be bad no matter how hard they could try. Yeah, and you you had some fun chemistry between Kakuda and Keizi. Like, Kakuda with the Natural Vibes guys was really interesting, just like, BB Hulk and Kai against them. Like, all right, that's fine. Like, I've seen, a, I've seen a bunch of it, but I was more intrigued by K, by Kakuda kind of getting a chance to more face off on these guys under natural vibes terms versus uh, Dragon Gate Generation or Toriumon Generation. So, like, that was my interest there. Like, it wasn't a bad match. I went two and three quarters on it. It just was just like an opener with guys who were just kind of left astray with the booking this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm at three stars there. I really like the. Triple H-esque knees that Hip Hop Kakuta started to throw, that running knee lift that is straight out of like 2004 Triple H matches, but it looks really good when Kakuta does it. So I I was a fan of this. It was a nice little opener. Yeah, and then we segued into the latest chapter of the Punch Tomonaga versus Keisuke Akuta epic. This time, before the match started, Punch Tomonaga said, oh, you just caught me on flashes. Like, you can't beat me two out of three times. <laughs> Okuda's just like, fine, okay. So this match did 
it, it was a two out of three falls match. However, in straight falls, Keisuke Akuda won the first one with a cross arm breaker, and the second one with a with his running knee good night kick. So, classic Gabe Zapolsky booking. This is just like the Briscoes going over <laughs> and, and two falls to zero. You know, on the Dragon Gate USA Rewind and Rewatch series we've been doing, when we were going over the shows in 2012. We would spend a lot of time talking about what was going on in Japan, just because it's relevant to Drangate USA, obviously. And in 2012, Mike was the one that pointed out, like, wow, this is the year that Mondai Ryu was really a thing. This was his apex mountain. He's just all over the booking. He's wrestling Shima. He's doing stuff with Tozawa. He's everywhere. And I think six or seven years from now, people are going to look back at these cards and the Akuda Tamanaga stuff is going to be such a delightful, like, w- wait, what? What were they doing? Why is there a best two out of three falls match that went 90 seconds on the second match on this card where Akuda won both falls? That is so weird, but I, I am really enjoying this angle. Yeah, no, this is a lot of fun. It's one of those things that, you know, we're now probably going to see the buildup for whomever Akuda is going to face at champion gate i'd be stunned if we don't have some indication of a direction coming out of corkin but it's just like a good way to kind of keep him involved especially as someone that i feel like he might be one of the last pieces in the unit shift so so let me ask you this as it relates to his next brave gate challenge are you afraid that they are going to go in the tamanaga direction for the champion gate match and kind of a final opportunity because I, I i get the impression especially after watching this show and looking at the corkin lineup that we are going to see not only the new units being formed but perhaps the heel unit being shuffled and given some of what tamanaga is doing both here and the anger that he's shown kind of at natural vibes and within team boku I, I I can't shake a punch heel turn coming, which I think would really suck. I think he's in the perfect role right now. But would that shock you at all if they're not quite done with this program yet? I wasn't considering that option. I I, I mean, I can't discount it. I yeah. think that the big issue with whatever the heel unit's going to be is like you have something going on with Hyo. Hyo is undefeated in 2021. You don't want, they clearly don't like pinning SB Kento. SB Kento stays clean as a sheet here. And Kakuda, like, it's okay that he lost to a flash pin by Kinky Horiguchi, but you probably don't want him to be the guy taking falls, so. Well, they, they've clearly established SBK as one of the guys, and Kakuta, you know, I, I almost want to compare him to say, like, a, like Genki Horiguchi's role in his own unit where, He's going to pick up some falls, but he's going to lose some falls. He's kind of like a mm-hmm. 500 player right now. Right? I, they are they are certainly not eager to pin Kakuda, I don't think, but they're also not afraid to do it if they need to. Yeah, so it, it's something that, that would clear up Kakuda's role a whole lot, unless he's going to be like Niki Horiguchi or really like Tomahawk TT during the Blood Warriors days. Mm. So it's, it's an interesting thing to think of. Like I was more expecting like this that probably this would just be I, I don't know if you really want to put Punch Tomonaga in the main event of uh, Osaka 2 show. Well, look, I don't. I want to make that clear. I don't want to do that. I, I think it would probably go on before the Triangle Gate match on night one. But, mm-hmm. you know, limited capacity, which I, I don't think matters because I think Dragon Gate is just going ahead with whatever their plans were. But the Triangle Gate match is probably going to be the draw there. 
I don't think it's going to happen, but I also want to plan it, that idea in your mind because I can't yeah. totally rule it out either. No, I think you're justified in doing that, and I feel like we'll get some indication on Friday one way or another. However, this next match, uh, we talked a little bit about this match before. This is a six-man tag team match. You have Ultimo Dragon, who is technically unaffiliated, kind of doing Team Poku, kind of just being Ultimo, teaming up with the Open the Dreamgate champion Shun Skywalker and Kota Minora against the R.E.D. team of Kaido Ishida, Kazuma Sakamoto, and S.B. Kento. Kota Minora drops a low, a rare fall to the ankle hold in 12 minutes and 55 seconds. And what I thought was the best match of the afternoon, I thought that this was great. I feel like even though Ultimo wasn't super in this match, I loved when he was in it. And I like the face-offs and what we're getting from Shun Skywalker and Kaido Ishida. I mean, calling back to the rookie ranking tournament. Yeah, not only did I like what we got from Ishida and Skywalker here, which was really, really good, and, and we'll have a month now to talk about and write about the upcoming Dreamgate match that they're going to have, because I think it is going to be such a superb match. Not only was their chemistry strong here, but the Cosmo Sakamoto Kota Minora chemistry. Yes. These dudes hit each other so hard in this match. This was so much fun. Yeah, like the two of them have great chemistry. Like Cosmo Sakamoto, like I know it's something that some people roll their eyes when they see Cosmo Sakamoto and Kai, but as soon as Cosmo Sakamoto got his sea legs, he's been great whenever he's facing these younger wrestlers. I remember like during like his first King of Gate tournament in 2019, he had like an uninspected banger with KZ, I think in Sambo Hall. But he was great here. I liked the chemistry there. I thought that Kota Minora has really kind of kept it up his uh, momentum that he was having post-lockdown. And just was like a great final stretch with with Minenora and Ishida. Like those two guys also have great chemistry and came together to be a match that just fell just short of my notebook. I went three and three quarters on it. Interesting. So this was not my match the night. I'm at three and a half on this. Certainly flirted with three and three quarters at one point. And just to reemphasize your point on Sakamoto, I said when he debuted and and his debut was kind of turned into a meme because I think people thought it was going to be Pac and you know, the goodwill that we have in the 2021 Dragon Gate booking was certainly not there in the fall of 2018. I think we we're all a little impatient and a little scared of what was to come. And all of a sudden you introduce Cosmo Sakamoto to the mix. People laughed at it. People got mad at it. Rightfully so. But I said from his debut match on, this guy can make it work. And he had the footwork and he has the basing ability to do so. And ever since then, I I mean, I consider him to be a, a part of the roster, whereas, you know, Kai at his best, I think, blends in and at his worst certainly sticks out as not being up to the working standard as the rest of the roster. For me, Sakamoto's a guy. I mean, I love having him around. I love his role. I think he's excellent at what he does. And this match was a good showcase of his talents. Yeah. And if you think about it and you look farther back, Sakamoto is trained by Taka Michinoku. That's another branch of the Lucharas, uh, uh family tree in a way it's different from the dragon system but you know there's still a lot going on there so it makes a lot of sense why he works out so well here it's the cousin of the dragon system that's it he, he he's just a cousin cousin Kazma. <laughs> all right <laughs> i i almost really i reach into draw for that i apologize case no uh, it's okay you avoided it no need to apologize <laughs> the, then we got into our four First round matchups in the uh, Open the Twin Gate number one contender tournament. The first one was in the A block. I don't get why they do A block and B block. Just do match one, match two, match three, match four. But it's, you know, that's a cultural thing. 
but it was Yamato and Dragon Kid, so continuing that pseudo unit or proto unit versus UT and Don Fuji. There was interference in the finish. RED ran in on Yama Kid and they dragged UT on top of Dragon Kid's prone body in seven minutes and twenty seven seconds. So, you know, building up for Cork and building up for whatever Yamato Kid's gonna turn into. Such a bummer of a finish because I was really feeling this before the R.E.D. stuff. And from a storyline perspective, I don't have an issue with what R.E.D. did with prolonging and continuing, rather, this SPK Dragon Kid feud. I thought it was a unique finish, but from a notebook match quality star rating perspective, this was really hitting its peak for me with the, as we talked about earlier, the Yamato and Don Fuji stuff in this match. There's two spots that really stood out to me. One, Fuji choke slams Yamato at one point, and then Yamato does, I can't even call it a counter. He takes the choke slam and then locks Fuji in an arm bar kind of as it's happening. It was such a tremendous spot that, you know, Yamato's tricked out grappling is real hit or miss. I've never seen him do this spot before, and I thought it was a total hit. And then they have a strike sequence down the closing stretch that was, once again, so heated, so physical, so stiff. That's kind of the one... I think real benefit of this Fukuoka venue is when guys hit each other, it makes a really nice sound. It's just a venue that plays well to striking specifically, which is uh, perhaps looking at this through too much of an artistic lens, but I felt that way on other shows where, you know, for whatever reason, strikes and chops and whatnot just sound really good in this building. And I thought Fuji and Yamato were tearing it up up until the finish, which I get why it happened, but it bummed me out. Yeah, like, this match was so solid that even though you had the interference finish, I still was three and a quarter stars for precisely the reasons you laid out. Yamato and Don Fuji had themselves a belter, and I liked the idea of them at least pushing the idea, at least initially, that UT and Don Fuji could be the miracle team in this tournament. I was a little surprised by the booking in night two. I kind of thought they were going to be in the finals, and I was really excited at the prospect of that because I liked the audible story that they were telling with Fuji possibly getting into this unit had they won the tournament. Right, yeah, I thought that that was all pretty interesting. I thought that would have been an interesting departure and a nice audible. Next up was Team Boku of Ryo Saito and Bukudomo Dragon facing off against... Mochi Yoshida, I don't know what their name is. I know like that they, they just put on sale a t-shirt that says, and Yoshida's a handwriting, Master, please teach me pro wrestling. But uh, I don't know exactly what their gimmick is other than that. But it was Yoshida getting the win on Saito with a cyberbomb in 9 minutes and 27 seconds. Not a Masaki Mochizuki match that will live in infamy. This was very much just a match and... I can't I can't knock the storytelling of Yoshida and Mojizuki because the crowd seems really into it. Yeah. And in I you know, I do the the Twitter translations where they tweet back and forth one with one another and it pops me, so I don't I don't hate what they're doing, but you know, with Takashi Yoshida wrestling a ten minute match in Fukuoka specifically against a gimmicky big R Shimizu and Ryo Saito, not exactly lighting my world on fire. This was a a gentleman's three if there ever was one. Oh, you were higher than I, higher on it than I was. I was two and a half stars. Mm. I was just like, I know what this is. I get what they're doing. Not for me. Move on. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just w- w- what it is. Like the uh, 
the the Bokudomo start with Mochizuki cracked me up because he was doing the uh, dragon feints as they were circling around, and Mochizuki was barely able to do it with a straight face. Like, <laughs> I dug that part, but then the match happened. I was like, okay, that was what I expected. Yeah, I think that's fair. The semi-main event was a the first match of the B block, so on that on the evening show, the winners of... Uh, UT and Fuji and Mochizuki and Yoshida, they're paired off as they're the A block teams. But this was the first B block team. This was the unaligned teams of Shuji Kondo and returning Benkei versus Kagatora and Yosuke Santa Maria. Benkei got the win in 3 minutes and 59 seconds with the spear on Yosuke Santa Maria. I was shocked to see this match only went four minutes because I, I it felt like a compact sprint, but it also felt longer than four minutes. So... Uh, it's not an insult to the match. I kind of thought it was a full match, which is why I was surprised to see such a short yeah. amount of time. For anybody that was worried about Ben K, don't be. He's fine. He's working the same standard that he was in December before he got knocked out cold at Final Gate. Was still doing all of the crazy spots, some of which we saw in the evening show. My only concern with him is his hair. The dark dye that he is using doesn't exactly light my world on fire, Mike. I mean... I wonder what he was doing in his time off because the hair, yeah, like he basically like I have dyed my I I have naturally dark colored hair. I have done the jet black thing once and just kind of looks like that. But also for for a guy who prides himself on the tanning bed, this was probably the most pale I've ever seen Ben K since he was Fuda Nakamura. Like surprisingly. Can you tan when you have a concussion or is that bad for you? Spray tan, brother. Listeners, if we can get a drop of Mike going spray tan, brother, I don't know how often that's going to come up, but I would like that just on my bad days to play to myself. <laughs> but yeah, as you were saying, uh, Ben's Ben. I mean, we knew the more when we the morning America time, the night in Japan, that Ben K was fine, and they were just going to let him take it easy, and didn't really have anything for him to really do in January when you look at it, and he wasn't figured into the the first stages of the unit shift, so didn't make sense, and him and Kondo are a sweet tag team. I like I, I like this Kanben team. Like, they're the they're two meat boys who just are being meat boys. What's not to love about it? Oh, I, I really hope they end up in the same unit. I think there's a lot... That they, it's interesting, you know, Ben K obviously has the Akuda tag team that they can always go to, and I think when they really get behind that team, not only is the match quality going to be strong, but I think that's a team that the crowd can get really into. But he's also got the Shuji Kondo tag team now that I I have, hope I've not seen the last of. I really like the chemistry they have together as a team, and it's something so different from what we normally see in Dragon Gate. I, don't, I, I guess Ben K and Big R Shimizu, when they were doing the Big Ben stuff, they were kind of two monsters. But Mike, can you think of another dueling big guy tag team that Drangate has used? I don't remember Kishiwada ever teaming with another big guy. I mean, it's all relative thinking, but uh, Pumpkin Kong with uh, Shingo and Cyber Kong, that mm. kind of, they kind of played up with that. But that was more of, okay, you have this, this uh, power lifter, and then you have uh Takashi Yoshida but no it's a very rare kind of thing and it fits a lot like these two guys came together you have a power junior who's really not a junior then you have someone who's only technically a he's never been a junior he's always been over 100 kilos and they just kind of wreck shop it's great 
Yeah, this was this was enjoyable. I went three and a quarter on this because of the length, but it's it's a match worth che- worth checking out. I think if you substitute the Mochizuki and Yoshida match for the Masquerade six man, there's there's about four matches here that I I think are really worth your time, especially the main event. Yeah, so Kanben will face in the evening the winners of this next match. This was an Red versus Masquerade tag. Eita and Diamante uh, were teaming up against Jason Lee and La Estrella. It was Ada with a pen after the Imperial Uno on Jason Lee. Oh, before we get into it, uh, Ben cut a promo afterwards. I didn't see any translations, but I'm willing to guess with these kind of things. Like, I am back. I'm Ben K. Yeah, uh, I'm not of many words, but listen to the sound of my soul. Like, that's that, those are his promos because he is Ben K. His nickname is Soul Shouter. Yeah, that's a safe bet. That really that was like me hearing a tweet. I feel like I've seen that translation before. That is spot on. All the useful knowledge in my brain case. Out of the, and, out and of the mind. And Ben K translated promos are at the top of the most useful <laughs> things you have in life. Listen, uh, as you've personally experienced this last weekend, I can just go on with stuff for a, an immediate period of time. So. That's very true, and I, I like it. That's why we do this podcast, Mike. Yeah, that's why I was like, oh, we're going to go 30, 45 minutes, and then we went an hour instead last week. But Ada versus Ada and Diamante versus Jason Lee and La Estrella. It was Ada over Lee in the fall. So the uh, bracket for the evening show was Kanben versus Ada and Diamante, and then and then Fuji and UT versus Mochizuki and Yoshida. But I have a feeling, case this might be your match of the day. This was my match of the day by... I'm not going to say a wide margin, but I certainly don't think anything on night two really touched this. I was blown away by this match, and I guess before I ran and rave about it, I want to know where you are with it. I really like this. I had the same rating as I gave that trio's match three and three quarters. It's either that or this as the match of the show. I thought that Jason Lee, I, I'm not a, an FSM 50 voter, but Case... Jason Lee in 2021, that's a guy to keep an eye. He should make the short list, you know, the watch list he had for the FSN 50, just because of how solid he was here. Then La Australia basically using Diamante into as a human jungle gem and then doing an insane to Harris from the top rope to the floor, catching him smooth as silk. It just was like a really great blast and a great finishing stretch of Ada basically having to kill Jason Lee, like taking the maximum driver and still not going down, but giving him multiple Imperial Unos before winning. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm three and three quarters. All right. So I, we're, we're closer than I thought, which I, I was nervous that maybe we were going to be on two separate planes here. I'm at four and a quarter on this match. I That's fair. Really, That's fair. I really think this is worth going out of your way for. And a bunch of different things jumped out at me here. We talked ever since his debut about the size of Estrella and just, you know, even for this small promotion, how small he is. And you get in the ring with a guy like Diamante, who is, I think, bigger than people give him credit for. And obviously, he's going to look small. The thing that jumped out at me here was Ata, who's not a super big guy. I never have really felt like Ata is much bigger than anyone on the roster or much smaller than anyone on the roster. Ata dwarfed Estrella. I mean, Ata really had some size on this guy. Is Does that concern you at all? Maybe not from a health and safety standpoint, because I don't really think either of us are worried about that too much, but just from a booking and future standpoint, I mean, this guy's really, really small. Yeah, I mean, I 
it, it, it's one of those things that there's obviously a ceiling at a certain level. Like I remember like we were like, is SP Kento tall enough? And then we saw him in the ring when he actually was a heel and he was kind of standing up straight. And you're like, yeah, no, he's, he's tall enough, but I mean, yeah, he projects bigger than he is. I mean, it's all, it's all in his charisma. And, and, and you know, you can't have that with someone like La Australia this early, but if his slot is this, that's a good slot. I mean, not everyone's going to be a future Open the Dreamgate champion. Not everyone's going to headline Kobe World. But having a guy who has these skills and is this uh, incredible, I mean, just project him out. You could have a great tag team with him and Dragon Kid as like a doing like a senior junior relationship there. He'll be a great person on Triangle Gate teams, and of course, there's the Brave Gate there. I think he's. I think he'll be fine. I just don't think that he's someone that. You, you look at him and you're like, okay, he's not a huge, he's not the guy you're going to build a company around, but you, you know, you're going to need someone to get on base case and La Australia will get on base. Oh my God. I mean, his on base percentage is unreal this year because I have enjoyed every single match he's been a part of because he's been the focal point of those matches. And I think, you know, if SP Kento is a guy that works bigger than he is, if he projects to be taller than he actually is, Australia probably does the opposite where I think he works a style uh, certainly not comparing him in terms of skill, but in terms of style, he really does remind me of like a Ray Jr. in 96. I mean, he, it, yeah. cruiserweight era Nitro Ray Mysterio is the vibe that I'm getting from Estrella, partially because he's just smaller than everybody else by comparison. And he's working a style that I think is benefiting his size or lack thereof. So I noticed that just again, I don't really see Ata tower over guys ever, but Ata really had a noticeable height difference over this guy. But more importantly, Diamante, who, again, we were so critical of for so long, but he really turned it around last year. I voted him most improved in the Observer Awards. His chemistry with Estrella is something that I am all about. I need to see more of these guys in the ring together immediately because Diamante was brought in to be a base and La Estrella is a guy that doesn't have a lot of experience and needs a good base. And sure enough, they work great together in this match. Yeah, absolutely. Just so people could kind of visualize this, if you're not someone who's going to go run and watch this match, uh, Diamante is listed as a shoot six foot. Like he is. And he probably is probably pretty close to six foot. Which would be showing, it would be like showing up on the main roster now and being 6'10 or 6'11. Right. Like they just, it's massive compared to the regular Dragon Gate standards. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's comparatively, it's massive. Ata just 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 for just for comparative sake, listed at 170 centimeters. That's about five six. That's a little bit closer to five seven, basically. And he had a good solid three to four inches on La Estrella. So I mean, he's a small guy, but it's I mean, Ray Junior is maybe five two. So who knows? Yeah, I feel like it's really an apt comparison. I know, and in, in, in rightfully so, people clutch their purrs a little bit when somebody's compared to Ray Jr. It should stay that way. I'm not criticizing them, but in terms of working style and in terms of stature, Estrella certainly reminds me of a young Ray Jr. In Ata, I I really liked him in this match. You know, mm-hmm. this was just, a, this was four, these were four guys that clicked on this night, and I like the Ata and Diamante team. I think Estrella, with whoever he's teaming with in that unit, it's going to work, at least for the time being. But Ata had not only one, but two Imperial Unos on Jason Lee in this match, one that Lee kicked out of, and then another one for the win. And both of them 
were top-notch super kicks. I mean, this these kicks looked like they knocked Jason Lee's teeth out both times that he hit them. It was phenomenal. This was a four-and-a-quarter star match, and I would really encourage our listeners, before this match is taken off of the Dragon Gate Network, which I believe, if you're listening to this the day it comes out, it will be taken off that night. So watch this match as soon as you can. It is well worth your time. Absolutely, and it was a great way to finish off the afternoon show. They came back after a few hours for the evening show. Attendance for this one was 291, so that's up. It is down comparatively with the last evening show that they had at Fuko at 342. So, I mean, more people were coming out for that show, and, I mean, combined, they still got above, they got close to 530, which is, I mean, it's still a drop, but, you know, it's with this, this is what they're going to be doing. I mean... Haven't seen, like, I know that on the flagship, they're like, oh, these crowds sound so dreadful. And I'm like, I don't think so. I did I, not pick up on that on the yeah. Cork and Hall show. I know Joe Lanza was very picky of, I guess, the atmosphere that was in Cork. And I I don't know. I, I didn't feel that way. And I obviously, you know, we have to get along with Joe. We like Joe. We're not weirdos. Uh, but I, I do feel like at times we are watching two different Dragon Gates right now. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And I mean, I like the environment for Dragon Gate more than the relentless, we, all we can do is clap, so we clap stuff that I get when I watch Stardom, for example. Mm. Like, if you want to talk about something that, that feels kind of eerie, it's no matter what, everyone is clapping on beat pretty much for two hours straight. You know, Dragon System alumni Shingo Takagi, he got the crowd rocking over this past weekend with Hiroshi Tanahashi. Mike, I know you've checked out on New Japan. I have said my piece on the promotion although I, I will say i love this i love this new beginning show over the weekend and i only bring it up because it's shingo did did you watch this match yet i have it picked out i just need to like sit down i knew i had these dragon gate shows to watch and then i as we do our recording we do dragon gate usa and dragon gate stuff on the same night that was something that was giving to me that i was going to watch sometime later this week but I know that it's it's an absolute belter. I mean, you have Shingo Takagi and Hiroshi Tanahashi, two of the best ever to do it. So, like, of course, Shingo Takagi will get people to, like, forget about keeping their mouth shut and screaming. He he, he is the dragon, apparently. Look, I think that nick- Shingo headlines terrible, a few more shows. <laughs> it's, it's awful. But, you know, Shingo headlines a few more shows. Dynasty might be back, baby. I'm telling you, he might be the fix. <laughs> no. I mean... I probably would watch more. So you're not wrong. Look, they were literally me. the best in-ring promotion of all time for eight years running. Last year, it ended that. They're still going to be good. They're still going to do stuff I like. But we're clearly in an era that is different now. There was a definitive mm-hmm. change in a dip in quality last year. Why some people don't understand that, I don't know. I mean, I would suggest people... Eh, no, I'm not going to be mean. <laughs> I was about to be really mean, Case, and you knew probably exactly what I was about to say, but I'm not going to. Let's talk about this, let's talk about this evening show, Case. So we started off <laughs> with Don Fuji and UT versus Mikashi, uh, Misaki, Mochizuki, and Takashi Yoshida. That was smooth. Yeah, no, well, well done, Mike. Not, not, no, nobody's wondering what you had to say at all. <laughs> all I'm going to say is sometimes, you know, you have to step back and be able to look at things with a level of critical analysis. And sometimes, help. And, and sometimes I'm not blaming people for having strong emotions. I mean, on a podcast that we both did, 
on the torch this weekend, which is what Case was kind of alluding to. So I'm moving back around to the way that you're that you're trying to plug something, Case. So I did have a thought in mind. I did say that with Akira Tozawa, he is emotionally my favorite wrestler of all time. So it's very hard for me to rationally think about him. You have to acknowledge these biases, and I think that with certain groups of fans, it's very difficult for people to think about things with a critical eye. And I think well, that's a polite way of me saying that. Let me take your words and put them into action. My favorite wrestler of all time is Masaki Mochizuki, and I was disappointed with this opening match that was he and Yoshida against Don Fuji and UT. I don't think the match was bad, but when you have Mochizuki, Fuji, and UT in the same ring, I wanted it to be better than what I thought was a borderline gentleman's three. You know, I was just on the other edge of it. I was three and a quarter. Uh, the fall, as I realized my same ring, did not have me mention that. Takashi Yoshida advancing with a cyber bomb on UT in 10 minutes, 59 seconds. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally get that with, like, you have three guys here who I think are various levels of genius about understanding pro wrestling, and you have someone who's, frankly, not the best, and on his best days, he's someone that you, you know, he's not going to drive a match. And the things I enjoyed about this was, like, UT and Mochizuki. Like, I feel like that that was some really fun stuff. I thought... Don Fuji selling his knee that KZ was deathly afraid of, him joining and blowing out his knee. I thought that that was entertaining. I came out with three and a quarter, but I mean, it just was not, it was not what you, you hope when you're watching a Mochizuki, Don Fuji, and UT tag team match. I think the tournament would have been more satisfying had they done Mochizuki and Yoshida versus Ben K and Kondo in the first round and done Fuji and UT versus Diamante and Ada and then done the Mochizuki Yoshida versus Fuji UT finals. Cause then yeah. you would have had, you would have had double stakes there because obviously it's a number one contendership tournament, but if Fuji and UT win, there's also the natural vibes thing going on. Right. Yeah. And, and then you have the miracle run idea versus, okay, Misaki Mochizuki. He's a very successful tag team wrestler. Takashi Yoshida. He's successful tag team wrestler in his own right. Like you had some mileage. You could have played off that and, just like the stakes of the two of them coming to each other at the end of the bracket, you know? Yeah, and Ben K and Kondo, I, I guess unless you have anything else to say, we could talk about that yeah, match. Yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, so so Ben K and Shuji Kondo, they defeated Diamante and Ata to move on to the finals of this number one contendership Twin Gate tournament. And, you know, I think on paper that's probably the right move. It gets Ben K back in focus after the Dreamgate challenge. I understand all of that. But they're a team without a unit, and they just, they had nothing really concrete to gain, I mm-hmm. think, from winning this tournament. I know it's like, well, they're, they're wrestling for a twin game match, and I understand that. But without a unit, I don't, I don't really see that being, uh, I, I don't see them being relevant, relevant in terms of fighting for the twin gates, if that makes sense. I think I did a clumsy job explaining that. I just think the finals would have been a little bit more heated had you had Mochizuki and Yoshida, where there's clearly a program between those two happening, and I'm sure it will evolve as time goes on, and then Fuji and UT, where you had built-in stakes for them coming into that match. Instead, Ben Kane Kondo, who are a very fun team, as I iterated when we were talking about the afternoon show, they get the win, and this was uh, was slightly better. I, I will say the one thing that I picked up from this match, Diamante hit a great springboard drop kick. I believe yes. that was on the Ben K, but my God, he throws that thing like a madman. Yeah, I thought that Diamante is someone that, as he's come along, I get excited when I get like these power versus power matches, and him and 
Ben, I felt like worked really well together. I felt like that for the most part, Ada was kind of a passenger here, which is kind of wild to, to, to regard that as, but yeah, you know, things are a mess and he is the biggest question in this unit shift coming out of this. But I thought this was a really effective, like Ben selling through the first bit of it and just was like a really fun, like tournament tag match. Like I went three and a half stars on this, like the, like this show with the exception of one match we'll get to later. I had everything better than uh, three and a quarter stars. Like I thought that this was a, I really liked this evening show, which is something considering my opinion on the shows you usually have in this video. I was proved a fool with this. This was a overall, a great day of wrestling. Yeah, again, two two enjoyable shows. I, I'm going to be a little bit lower on this evening show, I think, all the way through, but certainly not a bad match between these four guys. Yes, so we had our finals there. It would be Mochizuki and Yoshida versus Benkei and Suji Kondo. Then we got into some non-tournament stuff. First off, we got a Yamato Okuda tag. Remember how much we enjoyed those guys? Yes, yes, indeed. And we had that against the Outsiders team, of Kai and Kazuma Sakamoto. Yamato got a flash Frankensteiner of the Almighty on Kai in 7 minutes and 44 seconds because what is Yamato going to do in, unless his life is going to be wrapped around BB Hulk and Kai? Guys, what, what, what does this guy have left to do in his life? <laughs> I don't, I, Mike, I don't have a good answer for that. There is no, there is no bit I can even come up with. I just, that is a, I'm staring down the barrel of a gun here. I don't know what the reality is after this. Yeah, so... I thought this was a fun match. I went three and a quarter on this. I thought this was all pretty effective stuff. All four guys were, I mean, I love this Yamato and Okuda team. I hope Yamato ends up with this, uh, or hope that Okuda ends up in this Yamato DK unit if he's not doing stuff with Ben. I think that there's some chemistry there. And then Kai and Kazuma Sakamoto had a great performance, and Yamato uh, sold a lot, basically. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I praised Cosmo Sakamoto earlier, and I'm certainly not going to revoke that with this next statement, but this was probably a little too sleazy for my liking, a little bit too brawly for what I was looking for in the third match on the second show of a doubleheader in Fukuoka. I think it just had some factors working against it that prevented me from really getting invested into this match. Not bad by any means. Again, I you know these first three matches, I'm all... Uh, floating around three stars with yeah and i mean you're I, i'm not too much higher i'm three and a quarter i just three and a quarter matches is, is enough for me to say this is something that you if you have time it's worth watching so that's my mindset at, at least about this card for the most part everything's kind of worth watching as we got into the next match this was my match of the day this was an eight-man tag it was the masquerade team of shun skywalker kota minora jason lee and lastrea versus the red team of bb hulk kaido ishida sb kento and hip-hop kakuda ishida got the win with an ankle hold on jason lee in 13 minutes and 24 seconds i'm so pumped we're getting another one of these masquerade eight-man tags at cork and hall because these matches are really really delivering for me now and we're at a point where we're two full months into masquerade if you want to factor in the hokkaido triple shot where they were teaming together but didn't have uh, a name or, or unit colorways at that point. So it's not exactly the novelty act at this point. It's not something new. I just think this is a legitimately great pairing of guys. And we talked about it when they formed how the Western audience was going to be really into this unit. And I think that's held true. Mike, have you seen any indications that we are in a millennials like situation where the West is far more into this unit than the natives are? I mean, this is the problem that we talked about when it was formed. 
we saw this coming. They're not heavy. They're not great mic workers, and that's important. I think that, weirdly enough, I think they're going to kind of fill out the role that uh, Natural Vibes does at the same time, you know? Like, Natural Vibes, in a lot of ways, is kind of uh, the Jimmys plus dancing plus KZ. I feel like that this is going to kind of feel like how Tri Vanguard felt or how I'm trying to think of another team around Jimmy's time period, but it, it's an important unit to have, but it's not going to be the super face unit is what I'm saying. No. And I, I think that's why I'm so curious to see in particular where Yamato and Ben K end up where, when these units settle down, because it does feel like, I mean, you know, Casey is a frontline star dream gate or not. I do think at this point he's pushed like a, a tier one guy and he's obviously the face of this natural vibes unit which means more now than it did in 2018 when he was fronting it masquerade has the open the dream gate champion and by all accounts it's not like skywalker's bombing i do think the crowd is into this unit on a pretty large level i mean i have not heard anything of the contrary and from my very amateur journalistic standards of translating some tweets of, of native fans I'm not seeing a lot of stuff or really any stuff that's negative towards Masquerade, at least from what's come across my eyeballs, which is, you know, a selected sample, but it's still something. I am going to give it time. Again, we haven't really seen them talk, which I think is concerning. I think even if they would have bombed with a few promos and we would have heard from people that, hey, you know, the the crowd wasn't really into this, it would have at least given us an idea as to where they're standing, and it could have been a real sink-or-swim mentality. It does worry me a little bit that they're just keeping them away from the microphone. I don't think that's good. I think that shows a lack of trust, and perhaps, you know, we might see a title change coming up soon because of it. I'm not ready to speculate there just yet, but it's certainly something that's been on my mind. But from an in-ring standpoint, this team can do no wrong, and I, I look forward to seeing them whenever they are on the card together, especially and these eight-man tag matches, which is crazy to think they've been as good as they are, and they are missing Dragon Daya. And you just think about the level that they could go up to if he was there. But I am right at three and three quarters on this match. In particular, I'll praise him again. The Estrella Hip-Hop Kakuta chemistry I thought was off the charts in this match. Those guys work really well together, which is so impressive given their lack of experience. So there was a lot to like in this match. Oh, absolutely. And... I, I've talked a bit about that before. The thing that that kind of took away is SB Kento and Hip Hop Kakuta would love to see a twin run out of these two guys. Absolutely. They have some great chemistry together. That They have some good t- tag team offense. And then, you know, SB Kento spent like the first few minutes just trolling the new mask that La Estrella had on and just like, just like, just being an absolute jackass, like tying it to the ropes, just really, you know, I mean, He's just been a jerk, but it, it all just flowed together. Like you had like the stakes there. And I think that's the thing that I really enjoy about these matches. So this one, this one was a shorter one. This was like 13 minutes and 24 seconds, but each of these matches let like they get the idea of building and kicking into gear and then having like this very satisfying finish that they did it in December when they were having Binke versus Shun Skywalker up ahead. Now we have uh, Kaido Ishida and Shun Skywalker up ahead and they find a way to make sure that we get the moments of those guys, but then we get the finish we're supposed to. I was a four and a quarter stars. I absolutely adore this match. This was, by a good margin, my favorite match of the day. And it's just another one that, like, La Estrella is still only two months in. He's not even two months in as a full-time wrestler. And he's already had so many four-star matches with me. Like, it, I'm not going to, like, throw like this guy is 
a prodigal cha- a talent, but I mean, we, we kind of were bagging on him a little bit. I think fairly so about like what his projection is going to be, but it, if this is what he's like two months into wrestling, I'm excited what's going to happen after he gets his sea legs under him. Well, that, that's that's the thing. Right now, he's a system quarterback, okay? I don't know if he's having this these matches or showing this level of potential. If he's even teaming with the natural vibes guys or if he's just doing some basic young boy stuff or you're teaming with Mochizuki against some other veterans, I think he's in a system right now that is specifically playing to his strengths. And I talked about this two weeks ago about how these masquerade matches have been laid out where they are designating and specifically laying out these matches to make sure all of these guys shine because even though Skywalker is their Dreamgate champion, he was away for so long that it was really important that he hit the ground running. Minora, in particular, is a guy that I think they see a ton of potential in for a future main event level spot, so they want to make sure that he looks all right. Lee, Daya, Estrella, those are workhorse guys. They're always going to look good, and they have up to this point. So whereas SB Kento... You know, we we look at him as a a real blue chip prospect and someone that could one day lead this promotion into the future. Estrella has had, you know, almost just as many great matches now in in a much shorter amount of time, but he's playing into the system and that's not an insult on him. I think it's actually great booking. I think they are very much showing off his strengths and what he can do well and doing these wild dives on the large groups of people and getting thrown around by hip hop Kakuta. That's what he does, and that's what he does, and he does it incredibly, incredibly well. Right, yeah. So, this, I mean, La Australia, he's, if you're not, so if you're someone who listens to the shows and you don't really go and watch the prop, and you see gifts, La Australia is someone to keep an eye on. And it's going to be interesting to see how the next uh, 16 months or next 12 months of his career end up being. Next up case, we had a team. Uh, well, I actually, I oh, have sorry. something else to say about that match. I'm so sorry. No, normally I would, <laughs> normally I would love to move on, but I, I also wanted to mention because we'll, we'll talk about him a little bit more at the end of the show. But Kaito Ishida, his, oh, right. yeah, his closing stretches are just so good. He is someone that knows his character so well, and I think a lot of that comes from last year having the feud of the year with Kaisuke Kuda, where both guys were not only killing it from an in-ring perspective, but it really felt like they grew as performers and became these incredibly dynamic guys full of depth, full of character work, which, you know, just given Ashita's style, I think he's probably unfairly slanted as being this guy without a character, but you watch him work, and especially in a match like this, and he really seems to get it from all facets, and then he puts Jason Lee in this ankle lock, that, you know, with all due respect to Kurt Angle, who I love, Angle's never done an ankle lock quite like this. He about ripped Jason Lee's foot off. It was it was vicious. It was such an awesome finish. Yeah, it's great. And we had his dream challenge. So we have at least the main event for Night 2 Champion Gate. It will be Shun Skywalker making a second defense of the Open the Dream Gate Championship against Kaido Ishida. Real smart kind of piece of booking there as well. Kaido Ishida. Osaka native won the uh, he won the Brave Gate in his hometown right before turning heel. I mean, and on shows like this, I think this, I think this is just a home run booking wise. It makes a load of sense for me, and especially gives you it gives me a little bit of like reinforcement that's like maybe I am not just completely out here when I like oh no he's a top line guy he's going to be a star for this company for as long as he's around, and it seems like that that's a direction that they're willing to go for, and I just feel. 
like a little pat a little pat on my back that's like mike you're right about this but. absolutely man hey run the tape this is what we were saying in may and june of last year when they were doing these empty arena shows and we weren't totally sure what they were going to do for kobe world we weren't really sure if there was going to be a kobe world in may and june of last year but on those empty arena shows the guy that continuously jumped out at us was kaito ishida we were saying you know he's a better heel than ata he should be the 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 front runner in this heel unit it's a shame that he's almost hurt by this Bravegate title. It seems like he's working above this title right now. And instead, I think he just, he put that title in a position where it really hasn't been since Tozawa held. And I don't think it's been important as important since then. And Akuda has done a good job of carrying on that lineage so far during his run. But no, we called this. I mean, this is one we can pat ourselves on the back uh, back about and take a little bit of a victory lap because Ishida is now not only wrestling like a main event guy, but he's being pushed like a main event guy. Absolutely, and it's going to be real exciting to see him get his first Dream Key and see how the next month build is and how things will come to a head at Champion Gate. So the match that I, I mentioned it just because I want to get this match out of the way. This was a Boku tag. This was uh, the Double Dragon team of Ultimo and Bukotomo Dragon versus Ryo Saito and Punchino Managa. They did the exact same thing that they did every single time that they've te- teamed so far. They won by the double La Maestral Cradle. It was basically the same match that we've seen by the note by note, but done for the Fukuoka crowd. I mean, Masato Yoshino said he wanted this match to go on tour across the, na- the nation, and that's what we're saying. Uh, yeah, the finish, the double Lamai, La, uh, Lamai straws, that will pop me every time they do it, but if there was one skippable match this weekend, I think this would be it. Yeah, the, the only thing about this match that actually had me even go, heh, that's funny, was them still doing twin magic with Bokudamo and Ultimo. <laughs> that still cracks me up. I, I, I won't say cracks me up. That gives me a good, <laughs> and that's it. I you think that's entirely this. fair, yes. Semi-main event, uh, Natural Vibes, uh, KZ, Susumi Yokosuka, and Kinki Horiguchi versus the unaligned team of Dragon Kid, Kagatora, Yosuke, San Maria. KZ got the win with the rare CDJ pile driver on Yosuke, San Maria in 14 minutes and 27 seconds. You know, I thought this was fine. I thought this was fun. Yeah, I liked this. It was the KZ showcase, which I kind of think he needed. He he he's not only sold well, I thought his offense looked good, and it felt like the the bulk of this match was kind of built around him. I will say that I was shocked that he took that top rope Hurricane Rana where he sits on the guy's shoulders and then Dragon Kid springboards and gives him a Rana. Yeah. I was shocked that he took that on this show. That seems like a move that needs to be reserved for Cork and Hall, Osaka number two, and the big shows. I, I Taking this in a half-capacity Fukuoka was a bold move by KZ, but I respect him for working so hard. Yeah, I mean, th- this was a KZ match. They really kind of focus on it. And it's just like a fun, low-stakes semi-main event. Like, I still went three and a half stars on it. Like, it was a good match. And there was, like, a little things that in the match that was for someone who watches everything i'm like oh okay that's fun like busting out that ultra hurricane rana on a fukuoka show that raised my eyebrow and then there was a moment that there was a baby that was cooing that both kz and maria stopped dead and and tried not to laugh during that i was like all right this is a good time match it was a weirdly unremarkable three and a half star match and i won't make the point that i've made a million times where if this match happens in any other promotion especially one in north america it becomes you know, headline news for how good it was. It's just kind of a nice, unassuming match, but but not bad by any means, and and something that gave Casey not any direction, but definitely some momentum, which is always nice. Right. 
and then we got into the main event of the night show. This was the finals of the Open the Twin Gate number one contendership tournament, as we've alluded to. It was Mochizuki Yoshida winning this and winning the tournament. They will be facing Kai and BB Hulk at Champion Gate, and they defeated Shuji Kondo and Benkei. Yoshida over Benkei with a pineapple bomber in 16 minutes and 26 seconds. I got to say, the most impressive part of this match, and there's a lot that we can dissect here with Ben K, but injury or not, the fact that he put Takashi Yoshida up in the torture rack, mm-hmm. that is a spot that will blow me away every single time he does it. That That is legitimately impressive. I don't care what kind of cooperation it takes to do that move. When you put Yoshida in a torture rack, my jaw is on the floor. Yeah, because like even with the strength, that requires so much balance to do a torture rack, especially with someone the size of Takashi Yoshida on your shoulders. So it was very impressive. It's been doing Ben things. Just so that people are aware in advance, Ben does do his uh, spear counter where he gets kneed in the head, just like what happened at Final Gate. It's Benke. We said this right after Final Gate. They are going to do the spot if it's something that they feel comfortable with and they know it's going to res- get a response. They're going to go back to it. And it took three matches for Benke to, you know, do the fake knee to the head. So... Well, look, he wrestled three matches in a day. They would not put him in that position if he wasn't 100%. So I hope they continue to lean into that spot. I hope they continue to do it more because he could. That what happened to him at Final Gate will never happen to him again in his career. That was a freak accident where a Skywalker hit him just right in the wrong spot. I, I Look, I love that they're doing this. I'm glad they ran this spot in this match. Oh, absolutely. And this match in general... If this is what the Mochi Yoshida tag team is going to be in a high level situation, that's fine. They found a way to make to plug him into Mochi's matches, and then you had you had Benkei and Shuji Kondo. I mean, this was a big Meat Boy match. Yeah, it was a nice way to close things out. This was certainly the best match that Mochizuki and Yoshida were involved with over the weekend, and I think that was largely. Ben K just kind of throwing his body around again. It was nice to see because I I don't remember Kondo doing anything of substance in this match. I know he was in there, but no. this this was really the Ben K show. And he and Mochizuki have had two match of the year contenders against one another. They obviously have excellent chemistry, and he played to Yoshida's strengths. I I, I like this. I was still at three and a half on it as uh, you know, kind of same deal as the prior match where it was. Perhaps an unspectacular three and a half stars, but still a good enough match to to sit down and watch if you get the chance. Yeah, I mean, this both these shows, I mean, really you could start the afternoon show with the trios match and then watch the tournament stuff. You know, easy stuff to watch in, nothing bad. I mean, it matters what your mileage is on the double dragon gimmick. So, good time. Uh, after the match, we had them officially do the challenge for Twin Gate. Takashi Yoshida... They love him as a face kind of goober. Like, it kind of works. And it was kind of charming in a way. Like, if Takashi Yoshida is just kind of this I, bumbling buddy cop for Misaki Mochizuki's veteran, that's something I can get behind. Oh, yeah. No, this is this is working for now. With anything Yoshida-related, I have to ask myself, what are the legs this has? Because I don't really know if this works as a long-term buddy cop pairing i don't know if eight months down the line if they're still doing something like this if it still is entertaining i think with most other workers you could say like well they're really going to turn it around 
and they're going to become a nice little wrestler. I don't really know if that's an option for Takashi Yoshida. So no, I do kind of fear that mad blanky situation all over again where he does this brief baby face run only to turn back heel and he says it's a part of his larger plan or whatever. I kind of I kind of think that's where things are going. I, I don't know because SBK specifically was the one that booted him out of the unit. I think it's going to be a little bit harder to get that done. But, you know, BB Hulk's teaming with Kai. So the heel unit isn't exactly as strong as it could be from a storytelling perspective. Yeah, and you always have the fact that Probably he's going to end up with Ada one way or another. Like, it just makes sense that those two guys kind of are attached that way. But before we get into Cork in case, it's time for us to choose our wrestler of the week. So that's something that we've been starting to do this year, talking about who we think is had the best performance of the week, our, our MVP. We, the last time we did a show that had this, it was UT, because all we had is the Kobe Sambo Hall show. Now we have two shows back-to-back. So, Case... Who is your MVP for week four Dragon Gate's year? I got I f- completely forgot that Kobe Sambo Hall show happened. I was trying to <laughs> recount my MVPs so far through this year and just completely forgot that that show existed. That is so wild. Well, this week, I think I could have gone with Ben K for having a successful return for wrestling three matches after injury. I thought he was impressive in all three matches. I could have gone with La Estrella, who continues to produce great, and I mean great matches, almost every time he's in the ring. But I'm going to go with Kaito Ishida. I think this was a big week for him. I think he helped cement his future legacy on this week, and I think we saw the groundwork of a future main event run and a possible Open the Dreamgate champion come the first week of March, which I think really matters. And I think if they decide to put the title on him, he will be ready and he will be a fitting champion. He submitted both Kota Minora and Jason Lee with the ankle lock this weekend and looked very impressive in doing so. Kaito Ishida is my MVP for these two shows. For those reasons, Kaito Ishida is mine. We don't, we don't talk about this in advance. We, like, we specifically do not talk about this one thing. And for the last two weeks that we've done this, we've had the exact same MVP. Kaido Ishida, unanimous winner of the week. Yeah, it was his week. This was a really big week in his career, and I think we're going to see at Cork and Hall a real chance for him to step up to the plate, and we can kind of transition into that Cork and preview to round things out here. He is in a position where he's going to be not only given the opportunity to have a great match, but I think just... I, I I just I'm excited. I am really excited that we have a whole month of Skywalker versus Ashita stuff. I think it's gonna get continuously better up through that Dreamgate match. Yeah, I'm totally with you. So uh, I'll I'll read the um, matches before we give our thoughts. Uh, opener six man tag Ultimo uh, Don Fuji and Gamma versus Boku Dojo or Boku Team Boku. Why well, it's called Boku Dojo? It has nice cadence that, <laughs> but. Ryo Saito, Bokudamo Dragon, and Punch Monaga. Then we have a tag team match. Ginki Horiguchi and Kanichiro Rai versus Keisuke Akuda and Yosuke San Maria. Eight-man tag, as Case was alluded to. All of Masquerade, who are around right now. Shun Skywalker, Kodaman, or Jason Lee, La Estrella, versus R.E.D., Kaido Ishida, Kazuma Sakamoto, Hip Hop Kakuda, and Diamante. Match four is a tag team match. Masaki Mochizuki and Takashi Yoshida versus Ada and BB Hulk. Semi-main event, 
KZ, Susumu, Yokosuka, UT. That was, this will be the official Natural Vibes reunion launch versus Shuji Kondo, Benkei, and Kakotora. The main event, as put on and scheduled last month, Yamato and Dragon Kid versus Kai and SP Kento. So, a lot of stuff going on. Pretty much everything really after match two plays into what's going on for the rest of the month and into March, I think. Yeah, because even the Mochizuki and Yoshida versus Eitan Hulk match, which sounds a little dangerous on paper, that is a low floor match, certainly, and I don't I don't really think the ceiling is all that high on that one. But the crowd is going to be into that, and there's a story there that I'm invested in, so on paper, I'm okay with it. What I don't like on this show, we'll start there, I am annoyed that the Masquerade tag is positioned at three, and I was critical of this when Ata was champion, and he was consistently not getting booked in the main events, and I'm going to be critical of it when Skywalker's the champion. And, you know, if you want to give Yamato and Dragon Kid versus Kai and SB Kento top billing, I understand it, because I think there's going to be a big angle on the show, even if I don't entirely know what it is. But can you not put that match on fifth? Can that not go where the Natural Vibes match is? I just, I, I want the champion higher up on the card, and I don't, I don't really get why they're doing it. So I'm I'm a little frustrated there. So I want your thoughts there, but I also want a prediction from you on that eight-man tag, what you think the finish is going to be, because Ashita has tapped out both Minora and Lee. Do you think he taps out Estrella? Do you think he taps out Skywalker? Or do you think Skywalker gets a win over what will likely be Hip Hop Kakuta if he does get the win? Well, I mean, they have pinned Diamante. They pinned him in Fukuoka. So, so he's... He's ripe for taking a fall. Like, they're not protecting him as much. Uh, match placement-wise, I mean, look, the first two matches, that's everyone else that gets booked here. Other than Yuzushi Kanda. Yuzushi Kanda has not wrestled since uh, the first Corkin of the year, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but you, like, look at the rest of this card. Whatever is going to come out of that main event tag team match that's an angle of some fashion, I'm willing to imagine. You get the natural vibes relaunch. I mean, clearly... They cemented Masquerade. Masquerade has their plays. Now they have to do the cementing there. It kind of had to go here. I, I, I'm with you. It's something that I want to see Shun Skywalker. I want to see these Masquerade tags be like, if not the semi-main event, this should be the go-to intermission match, the hot match that then everyone's like, all right, and you go get a cigarette in the cigarette room. You know there's a cigarette room in Corkin, by the way, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to go to that room. I wonder how the cigarette room is doing in the age of COVID. But... Yeah, it stinks. I understand why on this show, given that the three matches ahead of it all have storyline implications to some level, and they're going to treat uh, natural vibes as a thing now. So I think that that's why the booking is. The fall, I think Ishida taps out Jason Lee again. I think that they're protecting Shun until he drops the title. Uh, Estrella has not dropped a fall, and I feel like they're making that into a focus point here. So I think it has to be Jason Lee. Yeah, if he taps out Estrella, I think we are leading off the show talking about that next week. That's going to be a big deal if that happens because Estrella has remained, uh, I guess, undefeated in the Samoa Joe and TNA way where he hasn't been beaten, but he still he still lost the matches but hasn't taken the fall. So, yeah, I, you know, I would be shocked if the Masquerade match isn't the match of the night. I don't think match placement will affect it too much there, but, you know, I would like to see the champion a little bit higher up on the card. The other thing that I will throw your way, you look at match five and you look at match six, 
ignore natural vibes, ignore RED. Let's look at the unaffiliated guys there. You've got Shuji Kondo, Benkei, Kagatora, Yamato, and Dragon Kid. We've seen Benkei and Kondo be friendly. We've seen Yamato and Dragon Kid be friendly. Kagatora is a guy that can slip and slide anywhere on the roster. Is that the unit? Are we seeing the formation of something there? I, I, I don't know what threads they have that bring them all together, but I, seeing all of their names listed side by side, I feel like I, I, I at least need to throw out the question. If that's the unit, then you have some real spare parts left that don't really fit in unless there's a huge heel yeah. shift, you know? Yeah. L- l- like, because you, like, you look at that, you have Yamato and DK as your mic workers. And then the, Kondo can cut a promo. He's not necessarily the most loquacious type, but he works there. Kaikatora is your fall post. That makes sense there. And then Binke is kind of adrift. Like, that's the thing about that unit is Binke and Kondo would be functionally the threes and fours. And it does not seem like the best use of them and their skill level. But I can't dismiss it out of hand. I do think that whatever comes out of that, unless we get a surprising Yamato heel turn on Dragon Kid, and he's now the new heal unit leader and they eject data afterwards unless that's the big plan which i hope i didn't speak that to existence I, I i that was my initial thought but i i think they still want more out of this yamato kai feud and i think that is preventing that from going on but but that was my first thought when i saw this match on paper was i i wonder if uh if old dragon kid loses the mask again this time by the hands of yamato yeah 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 it's interesting because uh, R.E.D. is too big. It's going to shit some members. Probably only pick up one out of this. Uh, we originally thought that would be KZ as the new heel leader. Looks like they might just go Fushida as the leader there. But, you know, there's going to be shakeups there. Then you look at the unaffiliated. It's like, Naruki Doi is still a question mark. I mean, he's someone that uh, they already have put shows in April and later on in the year on the schedule. So, I mean, he's coming back. And then... The rest is kind of a real assortment there, you know? It, the real thread that we have between two guys that could form a unit together are Ben K and Akuda, and they are mm-hmm. separate right now. So I really, I think more so than any other time I can remember since, God, I don't even know when. I have no feel for the direction these units are heading, and I don't think Kondo, Ben K, Kagatori, Yamato, Dragon Kid is going to be the new unit. I would be surprised if that happens. I can't rule it out, but I would be surprised. But I I, I got nothing. I, I really am struggling to <laughs> kind of fit these parts together. I don't know who goes where. It's very, very strange to me to be this cold, not in terms of whether or not I'm enjoying it, because I like everything that they're doing right now, but I just can't even begin to guess how these units fall into place. And I'm excited about that. I, I like that there's some real intrigue here. No, I'm totally with you. I, I, well, there are certain things that like we can pick up as long-term fans, understand the beats, and that's why we're like, oh yeah, Takashi Yoshida. Don't trust this thing. He's going to have something else coming out here. But the rest of it is all, I think, genuinely pretty interesting. I like sometimes when they pull a trick on me. So I'm totally down with that. And this show will be on the network. It will be live with English commentary. Jay will be there calling the matches live. It is a... 6 p.m. Uh, Japanese Standard Time start. That's 4 a.m. on the East Coast. Y'all could probably figure that out. You know your time zones better than I do. Uh, but Case, anything else we want to touch on before we get out of here? Let's plug our stuff, Mike. 
yeah, we actually have a good thing to plug, Kay. So I give the floor to you. I know that we had a really fun show that I know you were keen to talk about. Yeah, so over the weekend, we recorded a podcast with the great Alan Forel, friend of the show. He's been a former guest of the show. I would argue this show exists in part due to him because Alan has been, if there is, if you can say an influence on the way I cover wrestling, Alan has been that influence on me. We did a show over on his Pro Wrestling Paradise uh, show on the Pro Wrestling Torch. It is a two-part show in which Mike, Alan, and I talk about 20 different wrestlers from the Dragon System that we are at least considering for our greatest wrestler ever ballots. This show, the two parts combined, go four hours. It is an in-depth look on Shima, Masaki Mochizuki, Milano Collection AT, Shingo Takagi, Akira Tozawa, Ricochet, Pac, Matt Seidel, Ultimo Dragon, anyone that you want to talk about at length in the Dragon System, we talked about them on that show. As Alan said when we finished recording, that show was literally years in the making, and we are, you know, I, I can speak for Mike here, at least I think, we're very proud of the way this show came across. We kind of think it's the definitive Dragon Gate audio that's out there right now. So if you're not a Torch subscriber, look, I don't take a paycheck from them, but I would recommend it because I think there's a lot of tremendous content on that website. Not only do you get that show, Alan and I have done, I think at this point, three other Greatest Wrestler Ever shows where we go in-depth on guys like Eddie Guerrero, the 90s Joshi scene. We talked some World of Sport at one point. We had a really interesting Bret Hart and Roderick Strong discussion on one of the last shows we did. The people that have listened to Alan and I craft our greatest wrestler ever ballots have been really enjoying them. We've gotten some really nice feedback on them. And this Dragon System show that Mike, Alan, and I did uh, was praised by Rob Naylor as being one of the best podcasts that he's ever heard. And if that doesn't sell you, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, this was a show that I think it's closer to four and a half hours, to be fair. And we took it every route possible. Like this is, if you're someone who has enjoyed the way that Case and I go deep on some stuff that's happening in the wrestling business around Dragon Gate USA and talk about this. If you follow the stuff I do on Everything Elite, the This Is series where Aaron Bentley and I have gone deep into wrestlers' career through their matches. This was basically four hours of that about the wrestlers that i can at least speak for myself the wrestlers that i'm most passionate about in the entire business like talking about 1995 war talking about my i thought it was a very controversial statement i made about pack during that case but it was just an absolute blast alan is the best and yeah it's i i would say that it would be worth your subscription to the torch just for those who shows alone if you're this keen on that then alan has the pro wrestling paradise we've both done several episodes with alan alan is the best so highest recommendation go check those out i know that we certainly have tweeted a lot about it and thanks to everyone who enjoyed it like kind of ticked me aback because sometimes sometimes we do audio case i this is a thing for me where i feel like it's good audio but i can't tell if other people are or or stuff that i'm like oh I really went through the ringer there. I don't know if that's such a great show. I feel like it was kind of a mess, but then everyone tells me, oh, I actually thought it was one of the better shows. It kind of takes me back, but like, thanks to everyone for the nice thoughts and the praise that they have given for this four-hour, four-and-a-half-hour odyssey of the Dragon System. And we heard a lot of nice things last week after we recorded kind of that very random 
a sporadic thought-filled open the voice kit as well. People seem to be really into that. So good news for you guys. We got more of that coming up because they're not running a ton of shows in February. But if you liked the tone of that show, I think you will really like these shows that we did with Alan. So again, I would highly recommend it. Uh, Not only because we're on it. I just, I, you know, hopefully at this point, people realize Mike and I are really passionate about some sort of archival process for the dragon system. And we feel like these shows are kind of a sticking point of like, Hey, if you want, you know, varying opinions on some guys that have really mattered to this promotion, this is kind of the show to go check out. So, again, it's on the Pro Wrestling Torch website. Uh, it is behind a paywall, but I would highly, highly recommend subscribing to hear that and to hear all of the other great stuff that Alan has done on the Pro Wrest Paradise. I'm not getting paid for saying this, but... For right now, they have a $0.99 cent offer. Well, there you go. Now, now, I mean, come on. Skip the Red Circle donation this month and go go to the Torch and check out Mike and I over there. Yeah, yeah, go check that out there. Uh, one last thing I wanted to touch on if we got out of here. As, I, as we mentioned earlier, some schedules are out. We do have a really kind of interesting showcase that they announced for the middle of April. Did you notice this when it came up? Because I sure did. I don't, I don't remember it if I saw it. Well, on April 24th in Higashi Osaka, we will have the Speed Star Final Countdown in Higashi Osaka. They're doing another homecoming show for Masato Yoshino before he retires. So I know he's been off for the last month, and he's not on the Corkin shows. He apparently was like looking into something to help alleviate pain. I, I didn't get the specifics on that, but they're at least hoping that by the end of April that Masato Yoshino will at least start his retirement road. I welcome him back whenever he's ready. Absolutely, and I think that's going to do it, Case. Uh, you could follow us at Open the Voice Gate. You can follow Case uh, underscore your Case, and I'm at Fujiheya. We'll catch you next time talking about Corkin and what's shaking up to be probably one of the most momentous Corkins in a long time. But, but that'll do it for us here at Open the Voice Gate. We'll catch you next. Time. <laughs> I, I left you hanging. Had... Like I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's on me. I didn't know if you had like a last. A last little thing you want to say about Corkin on Friday. That's fine. I thought you capped it off so well. I wasn't I wasn't going to add anything else. So, so now we have the, the 15 seconds of me meandering before saying, uh, for case I'm Mike, thank you for listening to the Voice Gate. We'll catch you next time. Take care.